Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome listeners just joining us across the country, all across the country, to the miracle of the Internet's radio. Glad to have you. You missed a great meal, and there's a lot of laughter going on here. Let me see what we've got to eat. Just to be fair, the first thing I pass are cookies and brownies. I'm just saying. And then ice cream. And does anyone know what kind of ice cream this is? Black raspberry chocolate. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Somebody in here knows what to do. Fried chicken, a little bit of yard, some matzo. Who made matzo? Somebody up here made matzo. Yes, you go, girl. Matzo. We got uh, We got. Uh, all kinds of healthy salads, and we got a, a macaroni salad, and there's just all kinds of stuff. Pizza. I mean, what more could you want? What more could you want? We're nice and warm here. There's hot dogs, little mini wieners, and we also have. Uh, there's just so much here. There's also apples and stuff. Special. What's this is this your pow pow bread? Oh man. Okay, we'll be quick tonight because. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, so we had a great meal from 5 to 5.30 here in Newark, Delaware. So if you're in the tri-state area, feel free to come. We uh, have people sometimes come and see us from as close close to Washington, D.C., 20 miles outside of D.C. So come and join us. What we're doing here is we're blazing a trail of both old and new styles of study and worship of Adonai Elohim and his son, Yeshua Hamashiach. We are decidedly politically incorrect, and we cut it straight, and we go straight to the point. We are unmistakably pro-Israel, and we make no apology for being pro-Israel. Do I have anybody else in the in the audience today that in that same group? That's right. That's right. Congratulations to Bibi Netanyahu. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know what? The, uh, the liberal American press had him down severely, said it was going to be a landslide the opposite way. We know they lie. We know that their polls now, we know their polls now, didn't say what they said. They were trying to turn the election, not the first time. And guess who was behind that? Barack Hussein Obama, committing treason not only in this country, but in Israel, our greatest ally. Listen, here's the bottom line. I am the Black Robe Regiment. You'll notice that to the extent possible, we use the appropriate and accurate Hebrew words for the characters, places, in Scripture. Look, I'm not pretending to be a Jew, although I'd be proud to be Jewish. Remember, these are predominantly Hebrew people teaching us through their shared struggle and experiences of faith. The Hebrew people are the origin of our faith. We are not the origin or even the perfecter 
their faith. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh. The Lord is salvation. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew into Greek, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus. The English spelling for Iesus is Jesus. It's like the game of telephone that's played spanning over 2,000 years. I choose to cut out the middleman and the thousands of years and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. Please, while you have a chance, click on follow and subscribe here on blogtalkradio.com backslash the ninja pastor. If you use Twitter and Facebook, follow us at the ninja pastor on Twitter and on Facebook. Click on sign up, facebook.com backslash God in Country Radio. You can also check out other messages, speeches, interviews, blah, 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 on thenintpastor.com. Hey, by the way, remember, the chat room is open for your questions and comments. I'm not absolutely positive I'm going to get to that, but I love seeing it pop up there. We had a huge audience last week, huge audience. I was shocked, shocked and very pleased. And oddly enough, you know, you guys know that we buried my 52-year-old uh, brother Dean on Monday. Many of you here in the local Kehala were there. Many of the listeners that I didn't even know were listeners came from near and far uh, to author condolences, sent cards, emails, all of that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you to all of you who have sent cards and took the time to come. Saying all that to say this, it's important. Uh, church is important. Somebody asked me uh Uh, at the reception, so what is your book about? And I kind of chuckle when I hear that. The book title that I wrote is The Excellence is Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. We have that on our website, and you can get it at Amazon and on God and Country Radio, Facebook, blah, 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 all that stuff. Well, my point in bringing that up is as a family, what do families do when they have a, a trial, a struggle, they do what? They come together. They pull together. They pull together. And and this lesson today, listen, as we studied 1 Corinthians, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to summarize a couple of things from last week because I got a bazillion letters or emails. I should stop calling them letters. Emails. We came here on the buckboard, following the horse. Uh, you know, I got a lot of letters say, or emails saying, Hey, listen, you know, there's some that I missed. You can go back and listen to every single message just about that I ever speak. Every single speech, unless it's a private conference or something of that nature, um, that I've ever given since I've been recording these. So you're welcome to do that. They're free of charge. Don't cost anything at all. My point is you can go back and you can summarize there. But I'm going to summarize a little bit today, more so, a little bit more so than I normally do, because something we talk about today is really going to, going to click for you. I believe it's going to really click for you. Uh, so let me give you a brief overview. This is from this is from the Jewish New Testament commentary. Have you all ever who all's ever had that Jewish New Testament commentary? It's awesome, right? It's pretty cool. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians discusses some of the things previously addressed, but also deals with new issues. While First Corinthians called for believers to be unified with each other, in this letter Paul urges the church to be unified with him in his ministry. Wow, that's a different thing, isn't it? Listen, we all have to. Grab, we have to grab each other by the arm, pull each other close. This is important that we're all together at the Kehala, or the gathering of the people of the of the followers of the way. Right, that's what they were called then. They were not called Christians. They were not called church. They weren't called Christians. They were called church. 
to be called a Christian was a pejorative in that time. That was you didn't want to be called that, not because you were afraid of being aligned with Hamashiach or the Messiah. You didn't want to be called that because that was a pejorative. You were looked down on. Um, and and the cross. I just want to say this really. We've covered this a, a lot of times here in this group, but you know the cross for us has become something. Uh, it's kind of a venerated symbol, but it was an embarrassing uh, symbol. Back then, you would never be caught with the symbol of a cross on you um, because of what it stood for. Anyway, but in this letter, in 1 Corinthians, he called for everybody. And by the way, those, remember, those are all available for free. You can listen to them. We'll catch you right up. How are we sounding, Sean? Good? Awesome. 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 Thank you, Sean. Sean, S-E-A-N. We had a blast this week at the uh, Pastors and Leaders Conference down in Dover, Delaware Family Policy Council. And uh, Delaware Strong leading the way all across the country. The Benham brothers were there. They were awesome. Uh, then also, um, Dr. Jim Garlow was there. He was awesome. He closed that joint out. Uh, but we had some young speakers from the Patriot Academy. One fellow in, uh, will one day either run for president or he'll run the world. We're just not sure which. Pretty amazing. And when I saw him in August, I pointed at him and said, That kid is going places. And it turns out now he's married, he's married, and, uh, you know, I say kid, you know, he's just a young man, but he's so mature, so unbelievable. Mature. Anyway, but in this letter, Paul urges the church to be unified with him in his ministry. Paul's opponents were undermining his work, claiming that his suffering, about in chapter 11, 24 through 29, hey, Steve, how you doing, buddy, um, proved that he was not, see, we can worship now because uh, the violinist has arrived. Uh, Paul's opponents were undermining his work, claiming that his suffering proved that he was not a true apostle. Now, that makes no sense. When we look at the context, it makes no sense. But for Paul, for Shaul, remember that's that's Paul's real name. Sounds so much alike, right? Shaul and Paul, right? Shaul is the Hebrew name for Shaul, not even for Paul. I don't know. It cracks me up. Yeah, it's just it's just it's crazy the game of telephone that we play. Shaul is not that hard to pronounce, right? Right? It's not that hard. Like if your name it's like what happens at uh Ellis Island when everybody was coming over, you know. Uh Michelangelo di Bondoraldi. Uh you're gonna be Mike. <laughs> you know, you're gonna be Mike Debo. You're gonna be Mike Debo. That's your name from here on out. We're writing that down, you know. So we change everything to make it simple, but the reality is Shaul's not that hard to say. Anyway, Paul responds that his suffering highlights his dependence on Christ, and it points to Christ's strength rather than his own. To Christ's strength rather than his own. Hmm. His suffering points to Christ's strength rather than his own. They want to come back to that. There might be something there. Second Corinthians includes stirring perspectives on the gospel ministry. We talk about that in chapters through five. Encouragements to holy living. That's not important, right? Chapters six through seven. And instructions about giving, chapters 8 through 9. The number one least and the number one most thing in a survey all across the country in the mainline denomination churches, surveys, double-blind studies that were conducted, the number one thing and the least thing. What do you think? The number one topic and the least topic in surveys. It was never in between. It was either the top or the bottom. What's the number one topic that's not talked about enough in church, or the number one topic that's talked about too much in church. Tithing, giving, right? So this is a big deal in this, 
but not just, hey, y'all aren't given. So much here was it. Those of you who've read ahead, skip ahead, Sue says she knows. So Paul wrote this letter, by the way, from Macedonia a year after writing 1 Corinthians about A.D. 56. So 56 years, A.D. 56 means 56 years after Yeshua. Right. Okay, so what is the nature of church leadership according to chapter 1, 12, and 24? We have to understand some things. Okay, I have to understand some things. Remember last week I said, I might have said it the week before or whatever, last time I talked, we we present the church today in one of two ways. We either said, we're really jacked up. We messed up church. We're wrong. We're all, we got it all wrong. We're all wet about church. Or we do what? <laughs> we got to figure it out. Those poor Jews, Gentiles, whatever, you know, that group of motley, uh, that crew of motley, they're, you, you, they don't know what they're doing. They didn't know what they're doing. They messed everything up. We know how to do it because we have an order of service. We have an organ, a piano. We have pews with padding, but not an ostentatious color. Carpets subdued. We don't have crazy pictures on the wall. We have respectful, you know, stuff like that on the wall, right? And the communion wafers are saltines broken up by hand, right? Not those other things. And it's Welch's grape juice. Welch's, not some off-brand. You can tell. The people can tell, right? The little cups, right? Because we do it. I like the wine, too. Hey, man, you know, let's just, let's be real. A little Merlot it makes the heart gladder. Anyway, so here's the thing. This church, this church, when I'm saying this church, we the church, we think a lot that we have it all together. We also think that we're, you know, and it's weird how we can have multiple personalities, but it's true. I know it's not weird how I can have multiple personalities because that's pretty easy to say. But it's how the church, on the one hand, could think they had it all figured out, and on the other hand, they didn't at all. They were just swirling, right? They was just swirling. Nobody knew what was going on. There was no, no book to follow, really. They were totally off the reservation. So the church leadership, as it relates to Shaul's authority, remember that's Paul, as an emissary, right? An emissary. What is emissary? What does that stand for? A word we used to messenger, but it stands for the apostle. Right, But really the most accurate word there, as translated, is emissary of the Messiah was not top-notch. Let me say that again. The church leadership, as it relates to Shaul's authority as an emissary of the Messiah, was not top-notch. They had some struggles. They had some issues. What I'm not saying is that Shaul was not top-notch. But guess what? He was figuring it all out as he went along, too. He was the Pharisee's Pharisee, right? He knew, he knew all about temple and synagogue and holy days and all the feasts of observance, all these, you know, special feasts. He knew all about that. But what did he know? What did he not necessarily know how to do? Run the post-Messianic, post-Hamashiach church, the Kehillah. He didn't know. Why? Didn't he know? Anybody? Say it again. It had never been done. Just like Noah in the boat, right? It had never rained. Hey, we're going to build this big old boat. You better get on because the rain is going to start to come. Right? It had never been done. So people were looking, you know, well, how do you know? Well, he knows. Why? Because the Lord spoke to him. Several people thought of Shaul as insincere, deceptive, exploitative, 
unreliable, boastful, and weak. Shaul was in a position to defend himself and to clarify his purpose, mission, and intent. The congregants felt Shaul did not keep his promise to visit them. Remember when he was saying in, in 1 Corinthians, the letter in 1 Corinthians, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come visit y'all. And he hadn't yet, so he's writing this letter. He, he hadn't been there yet. So there were some Romans saying, hey, this guy's lying. Hours drive away, according to Skip Ahead Sue. It wasn't like it was around the corner. There wasn't an Amtrak or a metro or anything like that. There was none of these things. So, and by the way, what was he in the middle of? Getting his butt, getting bit by snakes, being, you know, uh, hassled, being run out of towns, shipwrecked, all these other things. That dude was busy trying to stay alive, right? He was still listening to God. He was still paying attention. But the congregants felt like Shaul didn't keep his promise to visit them. Make no mistake, the leadership of the Kehalah as it relates to Shaul or Paul was intact. Remember what I started this with is there were questions about the leadership, but the leadership was intact. However, the congregation was in a state of flux, and the people were, for a lack of better word, fussy. They were fussy. Shaul was not trying to be a dictator. Rather, he was trying to minister to this growing group of followers of the way. He was figuring it out as he went along. Sometimes we don't follow very well. Sometimes we're not led very well. Sometimes the issue is we're not led very well. Somebody just sent me, I can't believe they did this. Somebody just sent me a message. Don't tell me who's winning the race right now out in Fontana. Don't tell me who's winning the race. I'm taping it. Oh, yeah. She don't know. She don't know. But, uh, yeah, there's a race going on. Who cares? Yeah, it's not for everybody. Just for me. Anyway, uh, he wasn't trying to be a dictator. He wasn't. Uh, he, he was just trying to lead according to the best way they knew how. But what do we do as Christians? We do this as conservatives, don't we? We form a circular firing squad. So the guy trying to help them along, they instead of gathering around him and saying, hey, you and your fellow leaders, listen, we're, we're playing for you. No, they were whining, complaining, hey, you took away our prostitutes, you took away our free food, and uh, you know we come here drunk and get drunker. You know, you're really... You're really harsh and are mellow. So then, where does the church leader's confidence come from, according to chapter 3? These are all questions that we're going we're to talk about. The church leader's confidence comes directly from God through his new covenant through the Holy Spirit, or the Ruach HaKodesh. Anyway, let me read some, because this will be fun, and, and I probably won't stop or hurt myself at all. So... Let, let me let me just go. I'll read this fast, and then and then we'll catch up for those of you who missed. From Shaul, by God's will, an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua and brother Timothy, to God's messianic community in Corinth, along with all God's people throughout Achaia. Grace to you and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Praise to be God, Father of the Lord, Lord Yeshua and the Messiah. Compassionate Father, God of all encouragement and comfort who encourages us in all our trials so that we can encourage others whatever trials they may be undergoing with the encouragement we ourselves have received from God. For just as Messiah's sufferings overflow into us, so through the Messiah our encouragement also overflows. So if we undergo trials, it is for your encouragement and deliverance. 
and we and if we are deliver if we are encouraged that should encourage you when you have to endure sufferings like those we are experiencing what a, a, a kind of a euphemism listen you know you can get through it cuz other people have other people been where you've been other people have suffered where you suffered we have several people who have gone, gone through cancer in this in just this little kehala here in this group several people and we know people have survived cancer we know people have survived surgeries we know people we know people have come through we know other people have struggles we know other people have sufferings hurts habits and hang-ups we know that we can get through because we've seen other people get through kind of a little bit of what he's saying here moreover our hope for you remains staunch because we know that as you share sufferings you will also share in the encouragement Right, if we I talked about this last week, if we do nothing how you doing? Oh, I got this gout and well I got a hangnail. I got a hangnail. It's the second week in a row. Got this hangnail, it just won't fix up. You know, I've done my own little surgeries on it and well, it just didn't work out. And so I've got this pain and I've got this thing and well, how are you doing otherwise? Well, you know, I've got this cat and the cat stinks and there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the cat stinks. He won't let you wash him. My car's uh, burning a lot more oil than it used to burn, and, and well, gas is hot. You know how expensive gas is. The next time that person walks in the room that you're in, what are you not going to do? You're not going to ask how they're doing, right, because all they do is fill you up full of stuff, which not to say, which is not to say that we're not to share each other's burdens. But if burdens are all you share, if you never are happy ever, if you're never glad, listen, as Christ followers of the way, if we don't exude some element of happiness. If we're not hashtag happy warriors at some point in time, maybe we don't understand what this is all about. Maybe we don't understand what this whole redemption thing is. Maybe we should study up a little bit more. But if we're always just burdened, 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 we never can see any happy lining, you know, maybe maybe we need to study up more. Maybe we're missing some important points. I'm just saying, I'm putting that out there. Balance. It's all about balance. For brothers, we want you to know about the trials we have undergone in the province of Asia. The burden laid on us was so far beyond what we could bear that even that we even despaired of living through it. In other words, you thought, hey, man, we weren't sure we were going to live. We weren't sure we were going to make it through this. In our hearts, we felt we were under the sentence of death. However, this was to get us to rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Right, we got some hallelujah amens in here. Right, there's a lot of people probably in the listening audience who who are thinking, you know what, I got through. It was tough. I got through. Why? Because I relied on God. I relied on the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Hakodesh. I relied on Yeshua Hamashiach. I relied on my faith in God that He didn't bring me to it, but to take me through it. He didn't bring me here to leave me here, and I might be here a while. But he has promised he will never forsake me. And how many know God has never broken a promise, ever? What he says he will do, he will do. He rescued us from such deadly peril, and he will rescue us again. One thing we know, Mother Dean is, is you know, he was buried on Monday. And he had a fancy casket, really nice, had American flags on it, which he would have loved, fancy when we were going through the whole process of uh, picking everything out, 
you know, everybody that knows me knows me knows, you know, uh, my family's going to get a new refrigerator, freezer, a real nice one. When I die, somebody's going to make a phone call and say, hey, can you deliver the nicest refrigerator you got to the house? And if you could do it today, that'd be great, because surely he's thinking. And the instruction is, put me in that nice little refrigerator box and bury me in that. Because I don't buy any of this vault business and all that stuff, but I understand how people are sensitive to it. So we're doing all the planning. Of course, that's that's happening, you know. And I'm not saying the funeral guy did a great job. They did, uh, they're masterful down there. I won't say the name because he didn't pay me anything for advertising. But the point is, he did a great job. But what is their job? Their job is to sell you what you can afford. But they sell you based on this very emotional place you're in. Well, this vault doesn't have a lip on it, and this vault doesn't have a seal on it. So what does that mean? That means this water goes into the outer vault, the worm, and the body doesn't, you know. You know what? I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't. I really don't. I really don't. Put me in a refrigerator box, bury me. And I'm honestly not all that worried. If you Listen, if you want to save some time, you have somewhere to go that day, go four feet. You need to go six feet, go four feet. Go three if you like. Go three. It does not matter to me. Actually, if my mom's still alive, obviously I got to be buried because mom doesn't like, she doesn't like that. She doesn't like whole uh, cremation. But if mom is gone to her reward, blaze me up. Get it good and hot and lit. That's what I'm saying. Because what am I getting? When I get in heaven, I'm getting a new body. <laughs> somebody go ahead and give me. Somebody, somebody go ahead and give me a new body. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Wes in the back. Wes in the back said that's going to be a heavier. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Woo. Pressure. And here I am walking by brownies and chocolate chip cookies. And, ooh, that's oatmeal raisin cookies right there, too. I didn't see those fast pass through. Whew. We'll have to hurry this up, won't we? Maybe we'll do a 15-minute show. Well, how long am I at? Maybe. Oh, 33 minutes. Yeah, we went a little longer than I thought. Anyway, I better hurry up then. So that kind of thing, let me just say, that kind of thing doesn't affect me. I, I don't care about all that stuff. I, and honestly, my whole family's been instructed. Y'all, don't spend another dime fancy stuff for me. If I'm going to have a funeral, if mom is still alive, God bless her. She's tough. If she's still alive, cheapest box you got. Cheap box you got. I don't even care. It could be plywood. I, I really honestly don't care. Somebody could get together with some nails and some yeah, some three-quarter plywood, get her all together. You don't even have to stain it like you do with a cast. Yeah, it'd be fun. Send them off in a good way. You always did talk too, too, that's one O, right? Too long, you know, with whatever on there, whatever you want. I'm just saying it's just not a hugely important thing to me, but it's important to many people. Why? Because that kind of thing we're sensitive about, right? We, a lot of people have a lot of sensitivities, and and. And they're emotional at that time. Well, guess what? When you're going through suffering, guess what you are? Emotional. Suffering and pain, sorrow, all of those things are feelings. They're emotions. They're emotions you feel. If you feel them, well, you might be a little bit of a, a little bit of a psychopath there. Just saying, maybe, maybe it's time for a checkup from the neck up, or you're dead. Checkup from the neck up, or you're dead. Maybe somebody should bring their... They're, um, what is that thing called? Stethoscope. And uh, a qualified person should put that to your chest and see if maybe there's a thump thump. If there's not, we have an issue. So anyway, it's a crazy cheer, I'm just saying. The one in whom 
we have this is important. The one in whom we have placed our hope will indeed continue to rescue us. What does that say here? Will continue to rescue us. We pray prayers a lot of times and we forget that those prayers we prayed before, you know, God help me out of this one. I'm really in a jam here. Right? Right? Some of us in here have prayed that prayer. Right? I'm in a jam, Father. But then we forget that he came through for us. He fixed it. Maybe he answered the prayer differently. And afterwards, we're like, whew, I'm glad he saw through that. I'm glad he saw around corners. I'm glad he did give me that answer to prayer. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we look at the situation afterwards. If we look at it honestly, we say, whew, I was praying for this, but God gave me that. That was an answer to prayer. So, but we forget when God gives us that answer to prayer, we forget that he gave it to us. We forget that he answered that prayer. We forget that he gave us the desire of our heart. We forget that he rescued us from this problem. And then not that long after that, we say, we don't say help me again because you helped me before. We say, would you help me? I'm in a jam here. We forget to acknowledge that God helps us now. He helped us then. He helps us now. And he will help us again. He will help us again. Now, if that means you're at Delaware Park, or uh, some some other gambling facility, Dover Downs, and you're talking about, Lord, I need a new pair of shoes. This is my last dime. And you put it in, and you pray that I'm not advocating that at all. But what I am saying is God is there with us. He's not. He's he's not. I said at the funeral uh, that he keeps account of our sorrows. He keeps our tears in a bottle. It matters to him, the suffering that we have. and 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 that goes very, very deep. And you must add your help by praying for us, for us, for the more people there are praying, the more people there will be to give thanks when their prayer for us is answered. He didn't say if, he said when. That's what we call, starts with an F and ends with eighth, faith. That's faith, folks. When the prayer is going to be answered, you all are going to be able The more that pray for the need, the more are going to be able to pray when God answers this prayer. When God answers this prayer. For we take pride in this, that our conscience assures us that in our dealings with the world, and especially with you, we have... Con- now, remember, this is Shaul talking to the church. He's writing this letter. Now, you're starting to get, you know, he was nice in the front, you know, start to let her off nice, warm them up, get them bobbing their head, yes, and then hit them with the deal. We have conducted ourselves with frankness and godly pureness of motive not by worldly wisdom, but God-given grace. There are no hidden meanings in our letters other than what you can read and understand. Folks, that is an important statement. And my hope is that you will understand fully as indeed you have already understood us in part, so that on the day of our Lord Yeshua, you can be as proud as we are of you. So sure was I of this that I planned to come and see you. Remember what I said earlier on. Folks were ticked. They said, you said you were coming. You didn't come. Why you didn't come? I don't think they talk like that, but uh, that's just my rendition artist license. Uh, you know, this is he's directly answering the issue. Remember, I said that just a few minutes ago. Anybody? Anybody want to bob their head? Yeah, man. Yeah, remember I said that? So he's already on this. He's already tackling these issues, these major issues. 
and see you so that you might have the benefit of a second visit. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, visit you again on my way back from Macedonia, and then have you send me on my way to Yehuda. These plants lightly. Remember, he's talking to the same group that's grumbling, saying you said you were going to come by, and you didn't come by. Or do I make plans the way a worldly man does, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no in the same breath? Now, let's say this. What he's saying here, it's, in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's idiomatic. It's, it's a way of saying something. It's a way of yes, yes, no, no. Yes, yes, no, no in the same breath. That means you just say yes because they want you to say yes, but really you say no. Your intent is no. You're saying yes. You mean no. But you're saying yes because you don't have the nerve. Does anybody in the room think Shaul had an issue with standing up to folks and telling it like it was? No. But he'd give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and say, look, sometimes people say stuff like that. I'm not that guy. As surely as God is trustworthy, we don't say yes when we mean no. What? He links himself with the honesty of God. He says, look, y'all, I'm telling you, in this, I'm like God. When I say yes, I mean yes. And when I say no, I mean no. Bank on it. You can bet on it. The Son of God, the Messiah Yeshua, who was proclaimed among you through us, that is through me and Sila and Timothy, was not a yes and no man. On the contrary, with him it is always yes. Why? Because God, what he says he'll do, didn't we just say it? What he says he'll do, he'll do. Point blank. What he says he'll do, he'll do. He's always a yes man. Does that mean some folks out there, I'm just saying, y'all may have heard of on the television, there's a fellow out there with a really nice suits down in Texas, Houston, probably a big place there. I'm not going to say who he is. Really big auditorium, fills it up three times a week. He says, and he wears the nicest ties. I'm just saying, nice hair too. The guy says, the guy says that this verse means that what you ask of God, he'll give to you because he says in the scriptures, he says in the scriptures, with him, it is always yes. He does. He's telling people, listen, God says you ask me for it. You've got to have two or three gathered together. And if you do that, if you agree in my presence, it'll be a yes. Yeah, get to $40 million. Not the same guy for the jet, but the jet is the G6. There's another fellow in Atlanta. He's praying for a jet because he said God said yes. For however many promises God has made, they all find their yes in connection with him. That is why, through him, that we say the amen when we give glory to God. Except it's actually amen, amen, amen. It's not actually amen, it's amen. When we give glory to God. Moreover, it is God who sets both us and you in firm union with the Messiah. He has anointed us, put his seal on us. You don't get any better. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee for the future. What is a guarantee? Look, I guarantee you this or that. What have I done? I guarantee you you're going to like those oatmeal raisin cookies over there. I guarantee that. I'm not guaranteeing that, but I'm, I'm using it as an example. So you go ahead and you try you one of those oatmeal raisin cookies, and you go, you know, I like this oatmeal raisin cookie. Now, if I was smart, I would say, you know, those are terrible. I, I saw her drop those on the ground on the way in. I wouldn't eat those. And then, of course, you know, into my little special little stash. If I was eating gluten, that's what I would have. I'm just saying. I'm pointing that out. Gluten and sugar, 
all kind of goodness up in there. I'm trying to avoid it, but that's probably not going to happen. So, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee for the future. Think about what that's saying, a guarantee. His spirit, he gave us his spirit in our hearts. When does his spirit ever leave our hearts? Never does. He said we invite him in. But he gives us a guarantee of his future. I can guarantee you those, because I've smelled them. Every time I walk by them, I smell them. I'm guaranteeing you those are going to be good. Whatever ones are left, they're going to be good. I'm just saying. I call God to witness. He knows what my life is like. Who knows what? We can look the look. We can talk the talk. We can get the right haircut. We can wear the right outfit. But who knows what our life is really like? God does. God does. We can fake it till we make it all we want. The reality of this is God knows. God knows. That the reason I held back from coming to Corinth, now you all have heard this saying, as God is my witness. Who's heard that saying? You can raise your hand. As God is my witness. Guess where that came from? Come on. Hebrew reading right here. I call God to witness. In other words, as God is my witness. He knows what my life is like, that the reason I held back from coming to Corinth was out of consideration for you. Look, y'all, bunch of whiners. I didn't come because I was busy. I was winning on Jeopardy. I didn't want to break my streak. Right? That wasn't it. I didn't come out of deference to you. What was better for you? I knew better for you than you did. We are not trying to dictate how you must live out your trust in the Messiah, for in your trust you are standing firm, balancing it with compliment. He's saying, hey, some of you whining about it didn't come. Here's the real deal. And some of you, you guys are awesome. Rather, we are working with you for your own happiness. Happiness is an interesting word, isn't it? What, if I could start at the beginning of the room and go back to the back of the room, I would ask, what does happiness mean to you? you? It can mean whatever you want. By the time we get to the back of the room, it's going to be, and if none of us could hear the first one, the next one, the next one, the next one, it's just our own, our own deal. Happiness, what's happiness mean to you? I could ask this of the audience, and you can email me or send me a Twitter direct message or Facebook message in country radio, facebook.com backslash God and country radio. Send me that. Tell me what happiness means to you. Nobody else is going to see it but me. Let me just tell you this. Here's the bottom line. It means something radically different from you all the way back to the back of the room. It means something radically different. Happiness, I'm going to give a speech at the University of Delaware, April 15th. And one of the things I'm going to have the group do is write down a list, your top ten list, things you love to do the most, things you just love the most. What is that thing? When's the last time you did it? Were you by yourself or were you with another person? Or other people. One to ten. Top at the top. And then I'm going to say, listen, save this list. Save this list. Because just a year from now, based on the number of people that are going to be there, there's going to be six people, based on statistics, that never live out that list. Because one year from now, six of them will be dead. Six of them will be gone. We know that five years down the road, five years down the road after giving this speech, even to that young of people, juniors and seniors in college, that group of people 
if they could look back on that list, their lives will be dramatically changed. They won't be dead, but their lives will be dramatically changed. The trajectory of their life will be totally altered. How many can say that a year ago, if you were to write that list, 1 through 10, the things you love the most, the things you love to do the most, you do them by yourself, with another person, and when's the last time did you do it? It's going to be a radical shift, right? We look back on lists sometimes that we make, don't we? We look at mental lists. Boy, I thought I was going to be so happy when this happened. We very rarely ever do that, right? Especially if God did give us the answer to the prayer we were praying so hard for. It didn't work out the way we thought it was going to work out. And so we get down the road a little bit. We stop giving God the glory because we're like, you should have known, Lord. Don't give me stuff because you know I ask for the wrong stuff all the time. But we don't go back and say, you know what, for this, what can I learn? What can I learn from this? We should always be asking, what can we learn from the life that we lead? I think it would make it easier, don't you? I think it would make it easier. If first we dug into his word and said, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from, from first the, the difference between first and second Corinthians? There's a radical shift here. There's a radical shift. That top ten list, I would encourage you to do it. It's just as simple as this. The top ten things you love to do the most. You love to do these things the most. By the way, y'all are serious on ice cream. That ice cream is almost gone. You don't play. I love that. That's ice cream. No play. Hey, it melts. You have to eat it anyway. You have to eat it or it'll go to waste. That's what I always say. I'm just saying. The thing here is with this list, why it's so important, and, and how this ties in here will be clear in here in a second. You know, we're all in a different place today. I know what, what happened to you recently. A year ago, we wouldn't have ever thought it. We would never thought it. What happened in your life? We would have never thought it. A year ago, we would look at that. We've never thought it. All of your lives, we'd look at your life and say, man, I never would have seen that coming. I never would have seen that coming. You know what? We should live that list, that top ten list. I'm not talking about a bucket list per se. I don't want you to the things that you know you love to do now. One of my things is nature photography. I love to do nature photography. I love to get out and just soak it in, look at it, capture a compelling image, and have it somebody look and go. Wow, that is really neat. I love looking at it. I just can't stop looking at that. You know, that's art when people can't stop looking at it. They can't stop talking about it. That's art when that happens. I love to do that. I love to do that. I love to chill with my dog. I love to do that sounds so pedantic, doesn't it? Sound like a little child. I love my dog. I love yeah, I'll get some amen. Hey man, they're like, Hey, we love our dogs. Right? My dog means the world to me. And I just absolutely love my little doggy. She gives me unconditional love. She wants to play all the time. Uh, when it's time to chill out, she'll lay right on me. Best when the butt is toward the face, but that's okay. She doesn't understand. But uh, the point is, it's such a simple little thing. But you know what? There are your complaints. One of the things on my list, I had to complete this list. And one of the things on my list is studying, reading, and studying the Bible. I love it. Bible geek God, I love it. I just love it. I learn something every time I do it. But, you know, you have to answer those next questions, right? We make that list. The refinement of the list is when we go back to that next step, which is when's the last time you did it? Or the next, the next one is alone or with 
someone else or other people. And then when's the last time you did it? You look at your item one through three, one through five, and you say, I haven't done that in years. I talked about this at the funeral of my brother. Brother just passed away. We buried him on Monday. I said, you know, we got to stop getting together like this. Stop doing this. We got to... We say it every time, right? All the emails and messages I got, man, life is short. We should have gotten together. Oh, I had a chance to see him, and I didn't take it. Life's so short. It's a vapor. And we say that. So many people said this to me. Oh, we got to stop getting together like this. It was so good to see you. Haven't seen you in forever. I saw people at his funeral I have not seen in 38 years. And it was so good to see them. I was so excited to see them. Some of the people listening to this broadcast, I found I've been listening to this broadcast, I have known since 1972. I didn't even know they listened. How cool is that? What a cool thing. And that person said to me, hey, when you come down, when you're going to be down here again, look me up. Let me know you're coming. We'll do lunch. How cool is that? But then you see my mom's sister, Jean, and and her brother Carrie get together. You know that's your that's your that's your dad and mom get together, and they they're just silly. They're acting silly. They're just laughing and being cutting up, and mostly Carrie cutting up. Um, but uh, you know, just cutting up and and laughing and having a good time and reflecting on other other things. You know, childhood or this one. What's this one up to? What's that one up to? If they could write that list, I love getting together with my siblings. They're the only ones left. Man, when's the last time? That's the last one in the questions. When's the last time you did that? I talk about gathering. I talk about this gathering that I'm at all the time. The radio audience can go back and listen to the, I say listen to the tapes. It's funny, there aren't tapes. Uh, but you can go back and listen to the message, and I say it all the time. This is my favorite group. For not just because of the food and not just because I'm standing by the oatmeal raisin cookies. It's because of who you are and how you are and how you love me and my family, how you love us through things and how you love each other through things. That's the real deal. Shaul is talking about this here. Hey, I need you to love me through this. I need you to support me through this. Stop, stop throwing rocks at us. Lord knows there's enough people throwing rocks at us. Our own people. It's supposed to be a warm audience. You're not supposed to throw rocks. You guys don't do that with me. You lift me up. You're the reason I keep doing a lot of this stuff. Brownies, man. They throw brownies. Don't hate. Gluten-free brownies, man. This is gluten. I'm finding out this gluten. Isn't this gluten something? Man, gluten is like, uh, it's like evil. Well, how did it happen? I mean, did we have gluten before? What is all this gluten intolerance business? I just don't understand it. Yeah, dead air. Look at this. This is funny. The, let's just look at the. Uh, there's a guy that signed in. I'm just not sure. Uh, I'm not sure he's dealing with a, a, a full deck. He says that he thought he thought that this he's an ultra uber right wing conservative that he had his heart removed decades ago and darn proud of it. Why are you even begging God for swag? 
Get a job and earn it. You have played a foolie on me. This is a liberal politics show. <laughs> he might be smoking a little weed. I'm from California. <laughs> he might have gotten confused when I said blaze me up. You know, that's a euphemism for just saying. Just saying. So if if you remember nothing else, just remember this. Um, 11 minutes left. Um, remember this. Write that list. Maybe tonight write that list. Just write it out. Save it. That list. Top 10 things you love to. Your top 10 favorite things. Do you do them by yourself or with other people? And then, when's the last time? When's the last time? That's a tough one, folks. That's a tough one. We get we get we get twisted up on that. Why do churches churches seem to fight each other all the time? You know, you have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, twelfth Baptist church, right? Why has that happened? Used to be the first Baptist church. Name the first Baptist church. It was Baptist church. It became the first when there became a second, right? Why has that happened? They got in a fight over something. Probably something stupid. Almost always something stupid. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes, listen. Sometimes doctrine. Uh, gets jacked up too. People, people. Some people want to have their ears tickled. Uh, I don't know. This guy saying that I'm ultra. What did he say? Left. I mean, come on now. Was he listening to this show? He just. I don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's not well. Yeah, I'm not saying my usual stuff, but still, I don't think you could take that for left wing. So here we go, chapter two. So I made up my mind that I would not pay you another painful visit. Across the room, you say, "Hey, how you doing?" Well, I got this hangnail, and well, I got this infection. Who smells bad? I can smell it. Can you smell it? You know what I mean? Not to be gross. Steve don't miss a beat, though, right? It's ice cream, you know. He don't miss a beat. I like. I can't trip him up ever. So, right? You, you, you've got this person that you run from. You people come. They're a toxic person. Not to say that we don't bear our burdens together, but if all you got is burdens, something's wrong. Something is wrong. We're to live in the light. There's a beautiful light coming through the windows right now, and it's just it's kind of cascading on the room. We're to live in that light. That light comes from God. So I made up my mind. Again, remember Paul, Shaul, he doesn't play. That I would not pay you another painful visit. For I, if I cause you pain, who is left to make me happy except the people I have pained? Indeed, this is why I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not have to be pained by those who ought to be making me happy. For I had enough confidence in all of you to believe that unless I could be happy, none of you could be happy either. I wrote to you with a greatly distressed and anguished heart and with many tears, not in order to cause you pain, but to get you to realize how very much I love you. Let me read that again. I wrote to you with a greatly distressed and anguished heart and with many tears, not in order to cause you pain, but to get you to realize how very much I love you. Has anyone in the room tonight or on the radio have you ever had someone come to you pleading your case to you? Saying, hey, you know what? You're going the wrong direction. You're going the wrong direction. You, you, you're about to go off the rails. You're about to go in a ditch. Come on now. 
You've got to stop living this way. You've got to change what you're doing. It could be uh, warning you about food. could be warning you about drugs or alcohol. could be warning you about a hurt habit or hang-up that's, that's about to jack you up. Or a proclivity. Maybe you live your life a certain way that can only end in sorrow and heartache. And they come to you through tears and say, let's care about you. Now, we all in our mind are probably thinking of that person who said they're coming to you out of love, but really they're just nosy busybodies. They just want to get all up in your face, all get up in your business. But we also know the time. Have you ever been that one to go to another person and say you're in deep trouble? You know, there are people right now, tomorrow at Liberty University, my son will be there, listening intently when Ted Cruz announces, I am running for president in 2016. He will make that announcement at Liberty University. Liberty University could have made it anywhere. Anywhere he's going to make it at Liberty University during convocation. How many of you know that they are, that is not nationally broadcast till after the fact? The man knew it, and he still's going there anyway. Their liberty is inundated with media requests to video it live. CNS camped out there. MSNBC camped out there. All these are camped out there. We want to listen. Yeah, who are they anyway? They're all camped out there. They want to be there. They want to listen. I don't miss this. They want to listen to see him trip up. They want to catch a sound bite of him saying, for godly counsel, I said, Father, if you'd have me to run for this great office of this great land, tell me so. I asked for God to speak, and he did, and I will run as such. I didn't go to Washington to make friends. I went to serve the Constitution of the United States of America, and specifically the people of Texas, whom I represent. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying to you that, listen, you could do a lot worse than a man who's going to stand up knowing that he's not going to, listen, he could have been on Hannity, he, Greta, he could have been on all of them. He could have been on O'Reilly. He could have been on every, every single one announcing his candidacy for presidency. But why is he doing it at the university? Because he says, first, I want to honor God. Amen. Let me tell you how many in this room and how many at home think it's time for America to have leadership like that again. Amen. Amen. The hand of liberty. Looking the brush, fire, brush fires of freedom. Now, we're in bad shape, folks. Let me tell you, we are in bad, bad shape. Amen. I wrote to you with a greatly stressed and anguished heart and with many tears, not in order to cause you pain, but to get you to realize how very much I love you. I want to ask you one more question about that. In your mind... Is it possible you're thinking of someone who came to you to try to warn you about something? You denied it. You said, no, that's not true. That's not happening in my life. No, I'm not going to go off the rails. No, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. You're all wrong. Turned out they were right. Going back to that person, could be years later, to say, you know, remember when you said this to me? When you said, if I don't change my way at work, I'm going to lose my job? And lose job after job after job after that. If I don't change my habits in this area, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose friends. If I don't change my eating habits, I'm going to lose my life. 
if I don't get off the drugs or whatever, bless you, bless you. If I don't get off all these things, I don't do better in this area of, your, of my life, I'm going to suffer great consequence. And they were right. How many have gone back to that group and said, you were right? Going back to that person and said, you were right. I was wrong. We hate to do that, don't we? We hate to do that for some reason. For some reason, we hate to do that. We hate to go back to that person who said to us, you're shaking your head, but if we're really doing a deep searching inventory of our lives, we look back and we say, you know what? You were right. I've had people tell me something about myself couldn't nobody have known unless God told them. And they told me, and they were right. I will submit to you one of the greatest feelings you'll ever have is to swallow your pride, to humble yourself first before God, confess it first before God, and then go to those people or that person and say, you know, way back, such and such, you came to me and you said, listen, you've got to stop eating like that. You've got to stop eating like that. You can eat like that now, but listen, when you get to a certain age and that age ain't that far off, you're, it's going to pile up on you. You're not an athlete anymore. You've got to watch your food intake now. You've got to be serious about, you disciplined about your food, or you're going to have bad health, or you're going to have, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have disease, disease. You're going to have all these problems. You know what? If you don't stop now, and boy, I can tell you, straight up, somebody told me that. Somebody I respect told me that. They said, look, I love you. You've got to stop eating like this. You can eat like this now, but you better get the discipline to stop eating like this now because there's going to come a time it's going to creep up on you, pounds are going to climb on you, and they're going to weigh down your organs, and they're going to weigh down your heart, and there's going to be problems in your life. I'll submit to you that is a call we should all make. There's something freeing about saying, you know what, you were right. You were right, and I was wrong. And I didn't treat you right when I said that. The church in Corinth, you know, the church in Corinth was a tough joint. You know, when a, you ever hear when a uh, when a um, boy, sixty seconds, doesn't the time fly, folks? If you were here, you could hear what we talk about afterwards. We have a question and answer. It's awesome. We'd love for you to come and join us here. If you're in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, New Jersey, you're just a quick little drive. I would encourage you. Remember, I talked that list. I would encourage you if you do nothing else. Go write that list. Top 10 things you love to do the most. Really be honest. Top 10 things you love to do the most. And then do you do that with someone else or by yourself or another group of people? And when is the last time you did it? Life is short, folks. Life is short. Life is short. We need to live in that light. We need to stop living like it's all over. We need to stop living like we have no hope. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sh-